We are in Exodus chapter 20, the fifth commandment. We've been going through a series on the Ten Commandments. One of the things we've done, we don't, don't do every Sunday, but we've done this for this series as we read together the commandment that we're going to be looking at. So it's on your screen, Exodus 20, verse 12. Let's read this. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's a rainy day. You all sound really quiet this morning. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. All right, that was good. That word honor is an important word. Those of you in military service know that the, the highest decoration for someone in the military who has fought against an enemy, been engaged in battle, the highest decoration that can be given for, it's for bravery, it's for courage, and yet it's not the medal of courage or heroism, it is the medal of what? Honor. That's because that, that word, we understand, is, is a rich word that speaks of esteeming something, valuing something, showing the, with respect the treasure that that is. And nowhere is that truer than right here in Exodus 20, verse 12, which begins with that word honor. We talk about this sometimes in, in terms of biblical grammar. They didn't have punctuation, exclamation points, underlining when they would put a word first or make it an imperative, a command. That was a way of emphasis. That's the case with honor. It's first in the sentence. It is, it is an imperative verb. It is, it is calling our attention to this command to Honor, And so to understand the fifth commandment, we need to take a few minutes just to think about that word for honor. The Hebrew word is kaved, and it's the same word from which we speak of the glory of God. It's the verb form of that word for glory. And so we think of the, the weightiness of God, the greatness and value of God. But a couple of other references, just to give you an idea of, of this word and, and what it signifies. Genesis 18:20. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, and there's that word grave, serious, very sobering. And so that this is that word again, it's weight, it's, it's, it's seriousness, it's something that is important. Psalm 38, 4, David confessing his sin says, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. There again is kaved. Have you ever felt the weight of your sin, you've been convicted by something you have said or done and you've felt that weight of shame or guilt or whatever it is that is just convicting you, you can understand what David is referring to here and, and, and the glory of knowing forgiveness in God, but, but also just the weight of that sin. And then one other place, 2 Samuel 13, 25, David responds to an invitation from his son Absalom. He says, no, my son, let us not all go lest we be burdensome to you. I just wanted to give you those words because the, we think of the glory of God, and that's kaved there, and, and we think of that, that greatness, but also just these words, I think, help us see burdensome, heavy, grave. These are, are serious words, and so Exodus 20.12 is a command in the verb form now to, to show that, to demonstrate that weight that seriousness, that importance. It is, it is a command then that says honoring your father and your mother is to think and act and speak in such a way as to, as to demonstrate the exceedingly great value of your parents. It is to proclaim that to them, to make known their significance. 
Commentator John Currid takes it sort of from the opposite direction and says the point is that a child must not take his or her parents lightly or think lightly of them. Parents must be regarded with great seriousness and value. So in essence, to honor is to esteem. It is to, to make great. Now, if you, are, if you are internally balking at that and saying, you don't know my parents, you don't know what I experienced in, in growing up and how difficult this is for me to conceive of, let me tell you this, I do know myself and I know my own heart and I know well enough that I have no personal ability with which to claim that I deserve honor. I, I know my own heart and my sin and I know that this is God's design. This is God's command. This is not parents speaking and demanding this. This is God, the creator of the family, who designs this institution, who says that it is his law that we honor father and mother. And so we need to understand that and think about how we apply that. And so this morning, I'm going to frame that around two basic questions. How do we do such honor? We'll get to that lastly, but we'll start with why does it matter? Why is this such an important command. Because it's, it's not just here. If you read through the book of Proverbs, it, it is just an exposition on this particular command over and over again, because Proverbs keeps speaking to listen to your father's wisdom, hear your mother's counsel. It, it just goes through over and over again about obeying this particular command. Jesus reaffirms this command in Matthew 15, 4. The, the writers in the New Testament, the apostles, restate this command as well. Paul in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 goes back to this command. And in fact, the New Testament has some interesting statements in the form of warnings about disobedience to parents. It includes disobedience to parents in some of these lists that we see in the New Testament that are speaking of some of the awful consequences of, of sin. And so in Romans chapter one, where it's talking about man suppressing the truth about God and rejecting God, it then talks about the fallout of that and says in Romans 1.29, they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That last part of verse 30, in some respects, almost seems odd in that you've got murderers and evil and all of these vile things, and then we get disobedient to parents, which we, in some respect, maybe societally sort of take for granted. Ah, you know, that's just kind of the way it is, and yet he includes it here, and repeatedly, disobedience to parents is something that is emphasized as, as that which goes against clearly the will of God. Now, certainly disobedience to parents, we would think, can't be as disastrous or consequential as murder or deceit or slander or hating God or all of these ruthless activities, and yet it's here in this list. It's here again, Paul in 2 Timothy 3, when he speaks of in the last days there will be godlessness, lists again some of the manifestations of that godliness, and again speaks of disobedience to parents as one of the most heinous things that's included on this list. So all of that to say disobeying parents is not a small, insignificant issue in the mind of God. 
This is his will that he commands honoring parents, and it is also his will that he condemns disobedience. It is of great seriousness. Part of the reason it's of great seriousness is because we know that when Jesus commented on the the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he brings things back to being heart issues. They're not just the the external manifestation, the talking back or the shrugging the shoulders or whatever the act of disobedience is, but it's the heart attitude that Jesus is talking about. And so in Matthew chapter 5, when he speaks about anger and he, he says, you've heard it said, and he quotes then the commandment says that you should not kill And he said, but I tell you that that you are not to be angry at someone. You're not to call them fool because that's like you're murdering them in your heart. Your heart attitude is where the action comes out of. Same thing he says with lust and the command to not commit adultery. He says, "You've you've heard it that it's not to commit adultery. I say everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so the single commands in these 10 commandments have broad implications. And that's the case here as well. To to honor or to dishonor one's parents ultimately starts in the heart. It ultimately is an attitude that begins there. Now, before we go further with this, let's just think about the placement of this commandment. We've we've hinted at this before, and, and this is sort of transitional in some sense. We've talked about the first four commandments. If you were going to come up with a division for the Ten Commandments, it's probably the one that would say four and then six. The first four being when Jesus summarizes the commandments, when he's asked what's the greatest commandment, and he says, love the Lord your God with your entire being, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first four commandments largely speak to to what that looks like, what it means to, to love God, to worship him as supreme, to have no other idols, to revere his name, the things that we've been looking at. And then the last six, Jesus said the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And the, so the next six then speak to how we relate to one another, what, what earthly relationships look like. We need to be careful, though, about being sort of overly simplistic about saying, well, this, this part deals with that, this part deals with that. Because the reality is we cannot do the, the bottom six apart from understanding the first four. We, we cannot truly love our neighbor if we don't genuinely know what it means to love God and to honor God. We as believers in Jesus Christ know that apart from the the work of the gospel, apart from the saving power of Jesus Christ in our lives, we cannot truly love the people around us the way Christ did, the way that we are called to. We need the gospel and we need grace. We need to know and love God. And that right relationship to him is a prerequisite to good relationships with others. I, I don't get an accurate view of myself or others or my children apart from looking here and seeing what God says about me and, and my heart and who I am and how I am to relate to others. Uh, and, and so ultimately that brings me back to the gospel and Jesus Christ that I am finally able to comprehend by, by trusting in him how it is now I'm to love and to serve you in that model that Christ has given for us. There's something else about the placement of this commandment. This is the the first, then, of that table of commands that deals with our horizontal relationships. This is the first one that now speaks to how we love our neighbor as ourself. He begins with, honor your mother and your father. 
It, it is the first about that, that portion of our relationships. And I don't think it's a coincidence that God begins this with the most basic of human relationships, that of child to parent. Not everyone here is married, has experienced marriage, but we have all experienced being children. We have all been born to parents. And so that, that relationship is a, a starting point that we've all experienced and central to that relationship, the fifth commandment says, is honor. And, and, and that's it's fundamentally important for us to grasp that then the, the commandment itself to honor your father and your mother it is not contingent upon their success or failure as parents. It doesn't say if, and put a little clause in the front and say, and if you've got good parents and they do a really good job, honor them. It's simply God's design that we honor our parents, honor your father and your mother. Um, parental authority and respect for that authority is ultimately ordained by God. It was his design to delegate authority to a mother and father and for their child to submit to him. Okay? That's foundational. And it's foundational because we go through life and there are all sorts of authority and submission relationships that we are in. Throughout life, we experience being people who are in submission to others or who are put in positions of authority. And those are opportunities to demonstrate honor, to demonstrate respect for authority. And so whether it's supervision at work, whether it's leadership in a local church, governing authorities, teachers in classrooms, on and on, there are all of these relationships in which there is a structure to them where God has established that there is authority and there is submission to that. Above all of these is the preeminent one, which is our submission to God, our understanding that God is supreme over the universe and we are to serve and to honor him. And yet chronologically, the one that we first experience, the one that we first learn what it means to obey and honor in is as children, as children to parents. That's the first place where we begin to to test out the limits and, and, and figure out what this looks like to honor and to respect and obey. Before a child understands the great power of God or what it means to take direction from a boss or what it is to obey a governing authority, he or she must first learn to obey parents, must first be able to respect father and mother. That's why this commandment is so fundamentally important. It is also why our culture and its never-ending quest to reject the authority of God so preeminently makes that attack on the family and tries to erode parental rights. The idea of parental authority is constantly under attack in secular culture and in thinking that goes on in our world. The, the idea that, that children should just be free and able to do what they want to do and parents should be very limited in what they can do is something we see constantly in our culture. The atheist Richard Dawkins, who's been one of those at the forefront of this in recent years, said children need to be protected so they can have a proper education and not be indoctrinated in whatever religion their parents happen to have been brought up in. Sort of it, whatever random thing their parents are shouldn't then be passed down. And yet we who hold to the truth of the word of God see in the book of Proverbs, it is all about 
what we would see not as indoctrination, but as discipling our children and, and helping them to see who God is, who it is they are answerable to, who they are accountable to, and, and beginning to understand the God of creation. That, and that, that tide continues to move. That, that whole area of erasing parental rights, we're now seeing the, the, the push in, in recent years is now on gender issues and the idea that you need to give children absolute autonomy when it comes to deciding their gender. And so we see now court cases being, where this is being debated as to what rights parents have. British Columbia is one of the places where this has been in court, and the courts have consistently sided with a girl who at age 11 decided that she identified as a boy, who now at age 14 is getting testosterone treatments over the objections of her father, who has been overruled repeatedly by the highest courts in British Columbia, and have said, you don't have a right to stop this, to intervene in this, and in fact, he has been told that if you don't use male pronouns in dealing with her, you are now the abuser in this relationship. You are being abusive by what you are, are saying. It, it, it is our culture seeking to attack this fundamental relationship. You can go back to the 1960s and see it, and you can certainly go beyond that. The influential thinkers who have known that if you can undermine the family, if you can undermine the idea of, of authority and submission at the family level, you're ultimately taking God's design and order and you are overturning it. You are taking the whole idea of submission to a, a great God and obedience to him and you are undermining that by, by starting and attacking in the family. And ultimately that's a spiritual issue. We know this from Romans 1. Romans 1 speaking of those who are rejecting the truth of God, who are suppressing the truth, says that the key to man's rebellion is his desire to not submit to the authority of God. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they do not want to obey the Lord. All of the objections to the God of the Bible are smokescreens for the simple fact that the heart of man apart from Christ does not want to bow the knee to his creator. We, we do not want to be told what to do, and that's what we're going to talk about here when we get to children and parents, because we see that manifest itself at the earliest of ages, that rebellion against authority that starts in the heart. That's why the fifth commandment is so crucial. As Augustine said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Parents, you are the first line of authority that your child experiences, you are the first line in training your child to understand what it is to honor and to respect and submit to authority, and you are called to train your child to do that. Now, if you, if you misuse your authority, either on the one hand being abusive with it or on the other being overly permissive, you are in that process making it that much more difficult for your child to grasp what it is to submit to authority in a glad way and to know that authority is, is a good thing. It is a, a God-designed thing for the purpose of protection and care and nurturing and all of the good things that we see in God's design. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses in, in Deuteronomy 5 recounts the Ten Commandments. He's sort of reciting this teaching as he's helping the nation of Israel think through these things and commenting on them, if you will. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, he cites the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. And then in verse six of Deuteronomy six, familiar words. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He's saying to the Israelites, two things. One is you know these commands. Take them, absorb them, live them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And now you know this and now teach it. Now equip the next generation. Train your children in these truths. Look down at verse 10. And he starts to explain the why now, why this matters. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. The, the, the fundamental reason that Moses says is, is behind the fifth commandment, why children must be taught to honor their parents, to learn from them, to listen to them, is because God requires parents to teach them who he is. God gives this responsibility to you and I as parents to help our children to see who God is and what he's done. Because he says here, eventually the next generation, they will move on to the next set of circumstances. And for them, in particular in Moses' day, they're going to move into the, the, the land that God promised. And they're going to be in this place with cities that they didn't build and, and prefabbed houses that are ready for them and wells that are dug. And, and everything is, is just great. And they're going to sit there. And he said the temptation will be that they're going to sit there and forget what it was that God did. And they're going to sit in all this comfort and go, aren't we something? Look what we did. Look what we've got. This is all ours. And, and, and so Moses says, you, you have to continue to, to teach them so that when you get comfortable in the land, you don't forget who brought you out of slavery. And your children don't forget that even though they didn't experience that, it was just the generation before that was enslaved in Egypt. And don't let them forget that God redeemed. God picked you out of Egypt for no other reason than his kindness and love and grace. And he delivered you out of that and, and, and saved you from that. And so learn and obey God's commands so that you can pass that on to your children. So when they are in great circumstances and are tempted to think that they don't need God, or they are in awful circumstances and they're tempted to think that God is not there, you continue to remind them of who he is and what he's done and how he delivered you. And, and, and so that when verse 20, he says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then, and he says, he recounts all coming out of Egypt. He says, your, your child's going to ask you. One of these days, they're going to look and they're going to look at all these neighboring nations and peoples and they're going to say, man, they don't, they, they live crazy. You know, they do whatever they want to do and they worship all these other gods and, and, and they, they do whatever they want to do sexually and, and, and everything seems to go. Why do we do this? Why do we obey these commands? And that's so that you can go back and tell them you are different because you have been part of a people who were delivered by God. He rescued you out, so you must train them. 
And then verse 24 at the end of Deuteronomy 6. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. See the seriousness of the warning at this point? You're going you're gonna to instill these commands. You're going to teach them these commands. You're going to disciple them in these things, these truths, because this is life and death. Moses said that teaching your children to obey was indeed a matter of life, which should sound like the fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you, so that you may dwell and enjoy what God has provided for you. Now listen, this is a a biblical principle from God. Let's be really clear. There are circumstances where there are children in godly families and children who love the Lord who experience suffering and some who die young. And so this is not to be taken as some kind of, well, this, this has to be the case at all times. But it is clearly, as it is stated here and restated by the Apostle Paul, and we'll look at that in a second, Ephesians 6, to say, God sees this as that serious, and if you want to experience the place of God's blessing, if you want to, to, to have God's protective care on you, then, then start here by honoring and obeying. Ephesians 6 starts, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is what what you do as as believers. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And Paul actually uses the word for earth here. New American Standard has earth. And that's really it. It, it, It's the idea that, that you may experience life and blessing from God by obeying him on this by honoring your parents. Parents, we know from our own experience that obedience is not our natural bent. We are born as rebels at heart with a desire to break God's law. That is affirmed clearly. Uh, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. A child does not have to be taught to think of his or herself as the center of the universe. That is their natural bent to expect that you will fulfill their needs, that you will meet their desires, that you will answer their cry and respond to them. And that's why it's important then that we teach and discipline and call to obedience. If you have a young child, you, you still have before you that sweet privilege of being able to to help train that child to be used by God, to to help them to learn authority and submission because someday by God's grace, he or she will be ultimately accountable to the God of the universe, will ultimately stand before him. And so you are being faithful at this point to, to honor and to train. Again, this is not a this is not a formula that we can say is mechanical. Do this. You'll have a perfect kid. Everything will work out just fine. That's not what what Scripture is giving, but it is saying be faithful and trust God. Trust God to ultimately bring your child to that place of obedience and resting in him, but you be faithful in, in training. Your child enters life stubbornly determined to walk in self fulfillment. You and I know this as adults that if I were to ask you who is the person that you naturally 
honor the most, who is the person that you naturally honor the most, if we're honest, it's the person you were looking at in the mirror this morning. Because the person whose appearance you care about the most, the person whose trials you are saddest about, the person whose thoughts you esteem the most, the person whose desires you long to see fulfilled the most, that, that person, for me, it's me, right? And, and, and that's how children, that's the bent with which that they enter life. And the Bible says this is a life and death struggle to help to train them and discipline them and correct them to see that ultimately we are to be in submission to the, the God of creation. And that starts by honoring parents. And that leads us to this other question. How do we do this? I want to spend just the rest of our time just looking at three ways. And there, there's a number of different ways we could go on this. I'm just going to give you three that I think are hopefully practical ways. If you are a child, even an older child, these are ways you can think about honoring your parents. If you are a parent, these are ways you can think about how you equip your child to show honor. And, and this would be as good a point as any for me to recommend a book that's in your notes. This is Sarah Wallace for the Love of Discipline. Rob and I spent a bunch of time this week just sort of reading this one out loud and going, mm, this is good. This is good stuff. I want to encourage it. And if you are a couple with young children and you are willing to read this and, and, and I if you're a single mom, too, I shouldn't say couple. If you are a parent and you are willing to read this and, and go through it, it's here. Who would like it? Put your hand up if you want it. I, I'm going to award Megan here because you're right in the front row like this. I mean, I, I, I want to. So the rest of you, Kindle, it's cheap. Um, and, and I would encourage you to get it. It's listed in your notes um, for the love of discipline, Sarah Wallace. Just some good, practical, biblical wisdom um, in, in child rearing. Three things, communication, counsel, and care. Three ways I think we can do this honor. Communication. We understand communication two-way. It is both speaking and listening. We do it with God in terms of we, we listen to God through his word. We speak back to him with our petitions, with our thanksgiving, with our confession of sin. And so we, we take in the, the infinite value of God by listening to his word, and we, we speak back to him in prayer. If we are to show honor to parents, then communication is one of the first and most obvious places where that, that happens. How we listen and speak to them. Proverbs 7.24, and this, this is just a, a verse, this kind of statement is all through the Proverbs. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Listen to what I say. Be attentive. You cannot begin to obey the fifth commandment apart from valuing your parents enough to listen carefully to what they say. To to, to tune in and to be attentive. There is little that is more disrespectful than to see a child who is just completely disregarding their parents who are giving instruction. No, no, turning away, ignoring them in some way, demonstrating in some way that your words to me have no value at this point. I am not listening to you. We have a responsibility to help teach this. Um, if you do that to a parent, if that's your attitude to not listen, then how likely is it that you will listen to God's word when it speaks to you, when it convicts you of sin? That's why it's important that, that we follow the, 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 the pattern of Proverbs and teach your children to, to listen and to be attentive. 
Along with listening, communication has to do with speaking and the words that we use. Ephesians 4, it's very clear that our words must build one another up, that they must not harm. They must not be words that, that seek to do damage in some way. The bar is that much higher when we are then speaking of children, speaking to parents, because our speech to them should be honoring them. We are, we are demonstrating their value, their, their weightiness by the words that we choose and how we seek to honor them with those. Proverbs 30, verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Uh, it's a condemnation not only of speech that is demeaning and insulting, that part's obvious, but it also says do not bless their mothers. It's also condemning silence. When we fail to speak kind words to a parent, when we fail to show honor, when there's an opportunity to give respect when that chance is there, th then we are we're functionally carrying out what Proverbs 30 verse 11 says, and we are falling short. The words we use reflect the attitudes of our heart. It, it's what comes out of the heart is what comes out of our mouth ultimately. And how we speak to, to parents, what kind of words we use, ultimately is a demonstration of what's in the heart. And I, I, I would add to that probably the challenge for all of us is it's not only in their presence, this is for us adults now, but it's how, how we speak about them when we're not in their presence, when we're speaking to others. There is a place for when there are struggles in the family, for seeking prayer, for sharing truth that asks for wisdom, but are we honoring them, even in how we talk to others about them, how we characterize them or what they are doing? Are we, are we still demonstrating honor? Just because they're not within earshot doesn't mean we cannot be disobeying the fifth commandment by showing disrespect. Our speech should still be respectful. Second thing is counsel. Communication can be as simple as lip service, unfortunately, where we just listen enough to hear what they say and, and nod and then sort of walk away and do what we want. Um, but counsel is actually seeking to hear wisdom. It's actually seeking to learn from them. And, and perhaps never before has there been a culture like ours that has so little regard for the words of older generations. Uh, my parents can't figure out the DVR. They don't know what they're doing with a smartphone. How can they possibly have any wisdom? right, if, if they can't handle technology. And, and, and yet, the, the continued call in Scripture is, is to say, no, listen to them. Proverbs 16, 31, gray hair is a crown of glory. The attitude behind that is the older person has achieved some level of, of stature by virtue of walking through life and enduring life's challenges and walking with God through life, that they now have something that that compared to my relative inexperience has wisdom for me. It has something for me to glean and, and, and gain from in some way. She may not have read the latest parenting book or be up on the current trends, but years of loving and being faithful to her family give a weight that is far greater than any book and a wisdom that surpasses that. Your parents have faced temptation. They've struggled with sin. They've made mistakes. They've been hurt by other people's sin. They've experienced all sorts of pains and trials. They've tested the limits of their own strength and wisdom. They have experienced God's grace and on and on and on to one degree or another. They have walked where you walk. And if they are people who are trusting in Christ, they have marvelous wisdom for you that you should draw from. Now, listen, somebody was talking to me at the, at the door during the break. You may have parents who are godless, who have denied God, and, and 
they may not have much to give you in terms of wisdom, of, of wise counsel. You can still honor them by virtue of their attitude, but if you've got parents who know the Lord and who have walked with the Lord, then you have something that Proverbs would describe as a treasure that you should seek wise counsel from and desire to listen to. It is foolish for us to put away those who are older, in a sense, to, to ignore them because somehow we think that youth is where it's all at. Youth, youth is where the brilliance is at. And, and that's more and more the mentality of our culture. Certainly, we need to be teachable at all ages. And parents, older parents, we, we too still need to be teachable. And our kids, as they grow older, as they are brothers and sisters in Christ, will have good wisdom for us that we, we need to glean from. But this, this notion that just because I'm, I'm younger and you're older, I know better, uh, that is detestable to God. Michael Horton in his book on the Ten Commandments speaks of how our culture is so enamored with youthfulness to the point that even older people are content to believe that the only way they can really be useful is to act like, look like, and do things like younger people. It's that quest, if I gotta, I gotta be younger, I've gotta look younger, otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm sort of worthless. And, and Horton's quote is, if we undervalue our elders today, what will our place be in society when we reach the golden years? It's a good question, but realistically, it's not a new question. Proverbs says the same thing. Proverbs 19.27, the father is warning his son against turning a deaf ear to his instruction, against believing that he knew better and dismissing his father's counsel. The truth is we are inclined to believe that in most of life we can learn more from a Google search than we can from our parents, and that is not the attitude that God is calling us to. Yes, there are things on Google that your parents don't know. My, my son informs me all the time of the things that he's found that I have no clue about. But when it comes to life issues, spiritual issues, walking through life and its trials and challenges, parents have wisdom. If they have walked with Christ, they have wisdom to give you. Nothing can replace wise counsel. The caveat in all of this, for all of this, obedience and honor, really is the Acts 5.29 statement of we must obey God rather than man. If there is a point at which your, your parents' counsel, instruction, teaching is causing you or tempting you to disobey God, that is the one place where Scripture gives that, that caveat, we, we must obey God rather than men. So if men are calling us to sin, even if that's your parents, ultimately we are called to obey God. But otherwise, we are called to, to seek good counsel. So, uh, counsel, communication counsel, and the last one is care, and we'll just spend a moment on this. The, the instruction about the care of widows in, in 1 Timothy 5, it's talking about how they are to be looked after, and, and it makes the point very clearly. There is one primary human resource for their care as they get older. One that should be the primary go-to, and that is the children, that is family. First Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So during your younger years, honor is, is learning to speak well to your parents, to listen to them as you grow. It is gleaning counsel from them. It is getting wisdom from them about life circumstances. But in the latter years of childhood, one of the sweetest ways to continue to show the honor due your father and mother is to give back a measure of the, the loving, caring, kindness, the, the practical care that they have given and giving back in that care as they get older. And, and speaking as parent who's getting older, this part actually strikes me even more so nowadays. And I'm glad I've got a wonderful daughter who is concerned to look after. I'm, see, this is on Facebook now, so it's always going to be there, right? 
caring for parents. It's just one of the ways that we show honor to them. Proverbs 23, 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. So it's not just America in the 21st century that has a disdain for old age. 3,000 years ago, it was necessary to say to the readers of Proverbs, don't do this. Don't turn your back on, on your mother in her old age. You are called to care for her and honor her and love her. If we cannot be compassionate toward our parents, then to whom can we show genuine concern? The, the gist of the fifth commandment is, is simply this. Parents are to be honored because they are parents. It's because it's God's design. They did not, they did not appoint themselves to this authority role. And I, I think I can speak for most parents in here that there are more than a few days when we wish we could, we wish we could sort of trade in the authority part because we just feel like we are at the end of our ropes. We feel like we've, we've, we just don't know even what to do. And we wish we didn't have that authority at that moment because we just feel so struggling and lost. And yet it is God's design that we are called to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and it is his design that children are to honor their parents. God has established those hierarchies and structures so that we would see that authority and submission are good things that are part of God's design that ultimately point us back to him, that ultimately point us back to the need for a Savior who would redeem us, who would save us from our sin and who would give us life. And, and it is by beginning to get glimpses of honoring authority as a child that we begin to understand that there is a great and sovereign God who is the ruler over creation and who has lovingly sent his son to rescue us from our sin. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the kind, practical, straightforward truth of your word as you speak to children over and over again from Exodus on through the New Testament, urging them, commanding them to obey their parents. Father, we pray for this body of believers that we would take this to heart, that we would believe the truth of your word and seek to live it out. Father, I pray for children represented by families here in this church, those back in the nursery, those upstairs and plugging in. Lord, it would be our, our deepest desire and most urgent plea that you would bring each of them to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, that they would come to know that, that they are sinners who are in need of a Savior and Jesus Christ died on the cross, and rose again to defeat sin and death and to provide forgiveness. And so we pray, Father, that you would save our children, that you would bring them to love you and serve you first and foremost, that they would come to know the joy of submitting to a gracious and just authority who desires their very best. Father, we pray this morning for those who perhaps have been raised in difficult homes where there have been unbelieving parents and even today perhaps face challenges in dealing with parents who do not honor you or respect you. Um, Father, we, we thank you that you are the, the perfect, true, heavenly Father, that you are the one we look to ultimately. 
I pray that you would help those parents to be able to, in heart, attitude, and in words, to show honor and respect even when it is challenging and difficult. Pray that you would strengthen them. Father, for those who are struggling with this today in terms of maybe feeling like they've failed in parenting or failed in being children of parents, Lord, thank you that there is grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that there is great hope that we have a Savior who has died for sin and offers forgiveness, that there is repentance and forgiveness in Christ. And so we pray that you would meet that out to your people generously. And Father, for we who have had the joy and the the privilege of being raised by parents who love you and who have pointed to the gospel, we give you thanks. Father, thank you for the, the treasure of their wisdom. Thank you for the example of their lives. Thank you that amidst the fact that they are fallen sinners who have been redeemed by the Savior, that you have accomplished a good work through them. And Father, we are, we are grateful for those. Help us as a congregation to stand alongside one another and encourage one another. Thank you that we do this as a community of believers. Pray for those who are in the throes of parenting little ones right now and who are weary and who feel tested. Lord, may we as a body of believers be a source of strength and encouragement for them. May we pray for them. May we offer wise counsel where we can. But Father, ultimately, may you uphold them. May you give them strength to see this this prize of honoring you and of leading their children in that direction and, and trusting you to do a good work in their hearts. Father, we pray all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.